Welcome to another episode of the Christian Combatants Podcast. Today we are going to be discussing a law in Florida that bans children from attending adult live performances and the response from a furry convention. Uh, their choice to ban children from attending the furry ch- convention as a result of this law. I am joined today by one of the owners of the Christian Furry Fellowship, Tom Cat. The article I'm reading says DeSantis Law Forces Furry Convention to Bar Children, to Bar Children. Now, Tom, do you want to you explain exactly what's going on here? Is this a law that is banning furries from Florida? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. The, the law itself doesn't say anything about furries at all. Like the law, yeah, the law itself is actually generally talking about um, severe punishment for people allowing anyone considered a minor, anyone under 18, being permitted to view adult live performances. Yeah, I'm looking at the article here. It says adult live performances are defined in the bill as any show that depicts or simulates nudity, sexual content, sexual excitement, lewd conduct, or uh, prosthetic genitalia. Um, but as a result, this uh, this this group, uh, Megaplex, I'm not familiar with them at all, um, they, they've decided that they're not going to allow children to uh, to go to the convention, to go to the convention at all. Now, is this because the the furry every every fur? I've never been to to one of these conventions. I don't necessarily plan on going. Uh, have you ever gone to a convention? Yeah, I've uh, I've been to Furry Week in Atlanta. That's the only one that I've been to. I've been, I think, three times in all, but only two times that I've actually stayed, like for the weekend. Is this something that, that you would allow your kids to, to go to, or would this be something where you know you would keep them as far away as possible? That's still something that I've been trying to wrestle with a little bit because like, I think that it should be fine to take my kid to a convention, and I think that typically the way the rules for FWA and probably some other cons have been stated is that in the general space of the convention, it's supposed to be a family-friendly environment for the most part. And FWA specifically has even like made it to where anything they have that would be considered adult, where you have to be 18 or older to to actually attend, would happen like late at night and would be in specific places. Uh, dealers' dens will oftentimes have adult stuff for sale. And when I was in uh, the last time I went, which wasn't this year, but the year previous, it seemed like they had done more work to uh, segregate the adult portions of the dealer's den so that that wasn't as visible. Like there was specifically in another room where the, those wares were being sold and not all the time, but for the most part, artists did uh, uh, do a very good job. I think of having in their, their art books, like a, a clear like divider saying, don't go past this page. Right. Unless you want to see stuff that's like not so wholesome. Um, But even if the rules state that things need to be family friendly, what constitutes family friendly, what's considered just normal cosplay, even if it's tongue in cheek, something else is probably kind of hard to draw uh, an explicit line on. And I, I feel like I saw a lot of stuff that I wouldn't want my kid to see. And so it's, it's troubling I want to find a convention, and I'd like to hope maybe that at some point I could take my kid to a convention as somewhere, if it be FWA or somewhere else. But there, there definitely are some things in the public eye that I, I would not really think are appropriate for kids. I wonder if the same thing kind of, kind of applies. If, again, another convention I've never been to, but one of the bigger ones is is Comic Con. Now, uh, Comic Con obviously isn't just comic books, and and in the past couple decades, the uh, the industry around comic books has developed into a more mainstream thing where you've got, you know, an Avengers movie, like, you know, three or four Avengers movies or not of it. What is they called? Uh, Marvel movies or whatever every year. Um, but there's some, you know, there's, there's some really inappropriate stuff that kind of goes on, uh, you know, a lot of the characters in, in comic books. And, you know, I, I don't think, 
I mean, if, if, if you disagree with me here and, you, and you're thinking, oh, no, no, comic books are all wholesome, you know, maybe a 1950s Superman comic book, but, but since then, uh, you know, the skin tight jump, jumpsuits and the revealing, the revealing outfits for, for the female characters in particular, that's, that's extremely pre- prevalent in comics. Uh, and when you extend this to not just Western comics, but also kind of uh, Japanese style comics as, as well, and the entire culture around all the TV shows and movies and stuff like that, you have such a broad spectrum of media that's being gathered together. I think, I think you would honestly have a very similar, a very similar problem. Um, I don't know necessarily that, I mean, again, I've never been to, uh, the only convention I've ever been to was DEF CON. Uh, and that is not something that I would bring my, my kids to. Um, but for, for different reasons, it's just, I think they would be bored out of their mind. Um, but I don't know. It just strikes me that whenever you get a large group of, a large group of people together, first of all, that's going to be an issue. But, but second of all, when the people are gathered together specifically for media, for drawn or, you know, animated or anything like that, you're going to have this concern. And I wonder, I don't know if it would be, if it would be comparable at, at a comic con or if it's more so at like a furry convention. So I, I wonder if, I don't know. What, what do you think? Do you think that there should be perhaps going forward uh, kind of convention practice to say, okay, this is a convention where if there's, you know, if there's inappropriate stuff at all present, maybe just kids shouldn't, shouldn't come. Minors shouldn't come because there's always going to be a problem with segregating that. Uh, and then you've got kind of different conventions or is that, am I, am I thinking that that's like, <laughs> that's, that's too much to know. handle. I don't know. Like, I really think that there is some potential for things to be improved. Cause like the whole idea of, of having panels that are labeled after dark is supposed to be, look, there are some things that people want to explore and do that are explicitly adult. And some of those things that are adult don't automatically mean bad. They just mean mature, right? It's not necessarily something appropriate for kids, but depending on what it is, it might actually be perfectly fine for um, even a Christian adult, right? And you have to kind of wrestle with that with your own uh, uh, Christian liberty to discern like what is what is good and what is not good, what builds up and what uh, tears down. But uh, the thing uh, that most notably that I saw that actually like I thought, yeah, I'm not so sure about this, was that a lot of people when they're in fursuit would, or even out of fursuit, would incorporate um, a lot of leather kink stuff into their cosplay. And so it would just be displayed as normal cosplay. And to me, that was a bit problematic. I mean, uh, one of the things that if you don't know what it is that some people might look at and not realize that there's something weird going on is the the wolf pup thing. There's a lot of people wearing wolf pup masks that are... Those that, are the leather, um, the leather dog... Yes, mask things. people have apparently made some in these bright colors that they just, that if you're uninitiated, which I don't really know a whole lot about that kind of stuff because I'm not involved in it. Uh, but you, you know, it just, it just looks like, just looks like some sort of like weird mask that somebody's wearing for cosplay or, you know, and it, if it weren't in that context, you know, it might even look kind of neat, but I do know what that is. And there's a shocking number of people wearing stuff like that, but there's a lot more than that, right? There's people leading each other around in leather harnesses and stuff. And one of the reasons I think that there might be hope is that while I'm not sure that I'm thrilled about it, if it leads to people being able to more separate the uh, the things that are not appropriate from children from the things that are, then it might be a positive thing. A lot of conventions have been starting to have these little, uh, what FWA calls it, moonlight festivals, which are expensive explicitly like a very big ballroom event only for adults where people can be a bit more open with some of those things that they want to explore and so while while i don't think that's something that uh, uh christians should be participating in myself i do think that if that kind of event were to be promoted as this is the place for this and the rest of the time should not be a place where this is visible, then that could possibly be a fix for things. But other than like until until that gets cleaned up, like I'm just I'm not so sure. 
Yeah, my concern would be uh, in a case where you've got, okay, well, we've got after hours type stuff at these conventions, whether it's the furry convention, anime thing, whatever it is. Um, as long as you're having these events, even if they're kind of like after hours at night, uh, the people participating in this and the artists or whatever, you know, the people contributing to this are still going to be there on the convention floor the rest of the days. And I don't know that it's really possible for them to separate. They say, okay, well, I'm going to wear this costume for this nighttime party type thing, but then I'm also going to wear it around on the convention floor. You know, it, I don't think it's possible for them to separate what, you know, for them is, is kind of turned into a, a sexual thing uh, and, and, to, and to say, okay, well, I'm going to be wholesome for, you know, during the daytime in the exact same, um, in the exact same context. It's just, you know, I've turned my rating down to, to PG. Well, in my experience, people don't cosplay the entire time, and some people bring multiple like ways to cosplay. Like you may have somebody that wants to cosplay just in a more t typical fashion, or just dress up in their cute furry attire with a tail and stuff, and then they may also want to fursuit. But you're you're not gonna fursuit for the whole convention. I like I don't know of anybody that fursuits the entire convention. But then like some of the stuff that I'm talking about would be fursuit plus leather attire. Right. And the fursuits that I've seen, I, I don't really recall seeing any fursuits that just on their own were inappropriate. And so, like, it's it's not that, like, people would not wear their costume. It's just that there are certain elements of their costume that, like, save that for the other thing. Right. Maybe even if it was just like, let that be after a certain hour. And that might be unpopular. And there's I think there are some people that would probably just be totally fine with just having conventions become completely adult. And if people wanted to go the way of having some conventions that were explicitly for adults, like Megaplex seems to, to be opting for, which probably is just one of those things they're doing for like practical reasons, then that would be fine. And you could probably establish another convention somewhere that is supposed to be intended as being explicitly family-friendly at all times, although that would be hard to, to moderate. But I do think... I do think that it, it is possible because I don't think that anybody who is wearing that cosplay would just have to wear it the whole time. Now, and, yeah, what you, what you bring up actually, so this might be, okay, well, you know, re reading the article, we see the article and say, oh man, what are these, what are these weirdos in Florida up to? And, uh, you know, and they're, and they're banning children from, from this. And, and why do you think they would have to do this? But, and, and it, it seems completely negative, but one of the things you bring up might actually be, a positive aspect. I know I've talked with you before and there's a constant struggle uh, within the within the Christian furry community as I understand um, that there are people who say, you know what, we're not involved. We are not supporting these these sorts of, you know, uh, sinful behavior. We don't want a, a part of that. We just want, you know, cartoons and dressing up and, you know, playing make-believe and, and, you know, whatever else. Um, a, a positive thing that may come out from this is is polarization. If, if, you have people, you know, if you have conventions, they're like, yeah, we've got some, you know, good stuff during the day, but, you know, at the nighttime, we've got, we've got bad stuff. And, you know, they're trying to balance how to keep these two things separate. It might be better overall just to say, look, here's a convention where, you know, where you've got, you know, this sinful stuff happening. Um, and, you know, you, you have to be, you have to be, you can't be a, a minor. You can't show up to this at all, period. And then people say, well, I don't want to be involved in that stuff, but I also want to hang out and, and, and wear, you know, costumes and, and get comic books and stuff like that. Where do I go? And a positive result of this, um, I mean, you know, maybe this is wishful thinking, a positive result of this might be that you have people developing things like completely wholesome or, or even Christian uh, furry conventions where you have that polarization where it's like, okay, there are now two communities. There's the communities where it's either sometimes slash all the time uh, engaged in sinful stuff. And there's communities where it says, no, we're dedicated to this wholesome stuff. We don't want any of that. We don't want any of that here. And we want this to be a hundred percent day and night safe place, uh, for adults and children. I mean, yeah, again, maybe that's wishful thinking. I don't know. I don't know the, you know, the insides of the community. I don't know if there's a movement to kind of push for that sort of thing, but do you think that that would be something that the community would eventually want to develop that they'd want to develop? Like, see, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, honestly. I mean, especially just because, like, one, how many people do you have that want to go to conventions for just one thing or the other? Would it be enough to make numbers? Because one of the things that keeps some of these conventions going is probably just the sheer number. Like, they're nonprofits, at least the ones that I know of, and they'll support some charity. But, like, uh, you know, you're having a lot of people attend is probably important. So, segregating 
would would mean possibly like losing some of that income. Of course, I'm sure Megaplex probably taking a pretty hit from that, but I don't know. Maybe maybe it's actually not that bad. But I don't know. It's it's tricky because there's been people in the past to push for like, wait, I mean, this split the furries, right? There's the, the whole stuff that I don't really know much about, like the burn furs, but there's also been people back when I first joined on ChristianFurs.net that were like saying, we need to make our own little group and call it the Puries. And then there's been people who say like, <laughs> okay, for people that are not into uh, NSFW, whatever, who don't do the mature stuff, we call them fuzzies. And that's actually a term that's like recognized. Oh, I've just been using that as like a, a, a slur against your people. I didn't realize oh, no. it was people, a designated like, term or something. People that actually have used the term fuzzy to describe a furry who is <laughs> not involved in anything uh, of mature content. At least that's how I remember it, but I think that's on Wikipedia. I don't know. Okay. Here here's here's what's here's what's what's really bugging me about this concept is that um is that it seems to be I don't know. It, it, it seems to make it pedantic to not want to, it seems to be treating it as almost pedantic to not want to engage in, in sinful behavior. Say, Oh, you know, those are the, 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 the immature furries or whatever, and we can't have mature stuff around them or whatever. And I, I don't know, even in, in normal media, I find it kind of insulting to say, Oh, you know, this is, you know, for mature audiences only, it's like, no, this is sinful, bad stuff that nobody should be participating in. And mature people can avoid sinful stuff. So it, you know, say, Oh, well that's a furry convention for children and stuff like, no, maybe, you know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it just, it, it, it bugs, it bugs me. I mean, yeah. But the thing is some of these terms are, are self-adopted. Right, because right. some people would say, like, I would rather not call myself a furry because they don't want the negative association with it. And then some people definitely would agree with you, like, no, this is not a thing because the word encapsulates the entire fandom. But then, right. you know, it just it's it's not well defined. Depending on who you ask, some people think that it should have all of the adults baked into it. They will tell you that that is legitimately just part of it. And when you look at the origins of the, the subculture it's like well yeah there was some adult stuff in that but that doesn't mean that that's how everyone participating now uh engages with the the fan fandom yeah i i think a similar comparison would be uh stage theater and if you look back at kind of the early christian church uh stage theater would be largely pornographic there was if you were an actor you were known as a liar and a prostitute it was it was something offensive and this was how they would draw crowds as it would just be offensive jokes and inappropriate material and, and, and stuff on, on stage. Now, even if you want to say, okay, well, this is how stage acting came about um, and it came about with these negative roots, does that necessarily mean that now if you go to a, if you go to a play that, you know, a high school play or something like that, that that's, that that's in and of itself uh, a bad thing. So I think that there is a, a possibility for redemption there. I, I don't think that necessarily the beginnings of, this culture need to define it through and through for the rest of time. You could just have people who say, you know what? Oh, these cartoons are neat. Or, oh, I like making stuff out of, I don't know, foam and the, I don't know, whatever the material, the hair stuff, <laughs> the fur, the fake fur material thing. You know, I, I could see a lot of people getting involved in the creative aspects and, and consumptive aspects of it without getting involved in, in the sinful aspects of it. Uh, but yeah, I think it's so recent that it's so hard to divorce divorce the culture from its origins just people historically think of oh yeah that's you know that's associated with you know this this sinful stuff um so i i can i understand people kind of coming people coming up with terms and saying hey i want to distinguish myself i'm not one of those so i have to tell people you know as a lutheran sometimes i say no i'm not one of those lutherans i'm a lutheran but i'm not one of those lutherans <laughs> <laughs> so to segue this a, a little bit you're a, you're a father and i assume that you that you want to take care of your kids <laughs> that <laughs> this is a goal in in your life as a father uh, how would you navigate this this ground with them if they i don't know if, if they if they become interested now like, hey you know i like drawing or i like you know stuff like that um is this something where you would steer them away from well first of all would you steer them away from kind of conventions in general and then second of all uh the culture in general how 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 would you navigate that or have you really kind of thought that out I haven't had a good chance to think through it too much, and I'm sure that like any thoughts I've had, it's gonna have to to evolve, right? As I as I go, I mean, 
before being a parent when we would have parents interact with us and say, hey, uh, my kid says they're into this furry stuff. So I was trying to find a way for them to be involved in this thing that they like, but that would be a safe space or maybe that would be compatible with their faith, whatever. And we would try to dialogue with some of them, like if, especially like if they ask for advice. Some people have had a little bit of conversation with us and we one of the things we would try to say is we we encourage you to always be involved with what your kids are doing online just period right adults should be involved with what their their kids are doing online and i do think that there's an element of yeah that should be monitored there does come a point where your kids are adults and they're going to need some privacy but you know that that doesn't happen from the time they turn like old enough to operate a computer and one of the other things we tried to encourage people uh, was be involved. Like, don't just be like engaged in like knowing about what they're doing, but be involved and be supportive. That doesn't mean, you know, just saying okay to whatever, but you can be interested and like try to see what your kid's doing in a positive light and see positive opportunities for those interests without having, in, in, as opposed to just saying, oh, somebody else is doing this in a sinful way, so it's bad and you need to stop especially because some of the things that we've uh, like heard from people who uh, were in the fandom uh, who were, were minors was that their parents did not like it. They were there didn't, didn't and did not want their parents to know that they were being involved with it because they just weren't okay with it at all. And so it's like what we'll see sometimes is that kids will have a tendency or teenagers will have a tendency to want to hide that that part of their life from their parents because their parents are like not even willing to to keep an open mind to what their kids are interested to so it's like i want to be able to follow that advice and like honestly me being involved in the fandom i want my kid to be involved in the furry fandom to enjoy the things that i enjoy on whether or not that's responsible or not i don't know yet and it's weird too because like i have seen like um such you know raunchy parts of the fandom I've seen some stuff that's like, yeah, that's okay. And people self-identifying as like, this is, is something that should be like sexually explicit and stuff. But I've also seen really awesome stuff. I've seen very wholesome artwork and I've seen good Christian artwork. And I have also seen, uh, if, if I recall correctly, I was trying to find the, the video and I didn't find it. But I want to say like I've seen furry couples who would go fursuiting and they had a fursuit for their toddler. And so they would go as a family through the convention space, fursuiting. And it's the cutest thing. And the kids <laughs> have a ball, right? I'm I have trying to imagine like these little Ewok-sized... <laughs> yeah, I've even seen... I know, like, I've also seen, like, uh, in a couple of cases, like, parents who weren't into the fandom at all who were walking with their kid through a convention space and the kid cosplaying and some, I think, like, sometimes maybe even having a fursuit. And I think that that has the potential to be, like, a really positive experience. But the environment's got to be right you know and there's got to be i i think and you said this at the beginning there's got to be involvement and involvement sometimes also means control um it doesn't mean necessarily you know you're you dictate every single thing that your child thinks says and does but if, if you're involved uh, and okay let's say let's say you're that parent and you're like okay i don't get why my kids into this weird stuff but i'm going to go to this comic convention or whatever this convention with him and and walk around like you even not fully understanding the you know what's going on around you you can be like okay no we're not going over there i can i can see from a distance that we're not going to get involved in in that aspect there um yeah there's i i, I think one i don't know to there, there are two problems that that i think are at the root of are at the root of this with with parents and one of them one of them is control one of them is if parents are afraid to say to say no and say look you're not going to get involved. I'm not going to pay for this. I'm not going to let you go unsupervised to a convention in Florida, you know, whatever. I'm not going to let you have unsupervised access to the internet. I'm not going to let, you know, your job as a parent is to, to, to raise your kids and be involved. And sometimes often this means saying no, uh, when the children don't understand what's bad for them. But the primary problem here is the involvement is, is parents not being involved, whether it's like, Oh, my kids into this weird, you know, anime stuff or whatever my kids into this you know any video gaming my kids into you know some some sport that i don't like or whatever uh and and the parent immediately kind of turns off interaction with their kids oh you know i'll just dump my kid off at 
uh, you know, soccer practice. I hate soccer. I'm not going to have anything to do with it, but I'm going to, you know, just kind of leave him there and be uninvolved. Involvement is so, is so key. And if, if you're worried as a parent, you're like, I don't want, I don't, I'm worried about my kids being involved in the wrong stuff, doing the wrong things, making the wrong choices. Well, guess what? You know, you're a mom, you're a dad, go with them, walk with them, walk by their side, you know, raise them up in the, in, in the proper way uh, so that they don't depart from it. You know, be, you cannot parent without being involved, but that's, you have, and sometimes being involved means being involved in, 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 in dumb stuff. And you're like, you know, I, so confession, my, my, my son will maybe never hear this, but I don't really care about superheroes. I think Spider-Man is dumb. (laughs) <laughs> like I, you know, I like the games a little bit and in the comics. Okay. I, I get why it would be neat, but just, you're like, I'm Spider-Man, 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 all Spider-Man all day, every day, Spider-Man, Batman one, once in a while, but then Spider-Man. And then to me, it's like, okay, it's, it's, it's dumb, but I will totally play Spider-Man running around the house, pretending to shoot webs at my kids because that's, you know, that's my son. I want to be involved in, in his interests, even if I don't share that interest at all. Um, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a great dad. So if I could do that, I'm sure most, most dads and moms can be involved with their kids, weird interests and hobbies and, you know, interests that they, that they don't share. This discussion can go on so many branches right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I should limit uh, my sentences. No, I'm just saying like, like first of all, so Spider-Man many, is the greatest creation. since. There's Earth. so many things to talk about. So many things to talk about, like just trying to keep some some commentary short, right? Uh, uh, trying to to work my my way from the latest back to the earlier thoughts, I guess. Um, one is, I I want to say that kids are going to learn a lot of stuff from how we interact with them, right? So if I want my son to per se be interested in the things other people are doing and be interested in the things that I'm interested in. One of the ways to do that is to model that behavior by being interested in what he's interested in, asking him what he thinks about and being interested as he gets older. And I think that will teach him, oh, at some point it'll click. My dad always asked me what I liked and what was interested in. So it might help me to get to know other people better by asking them what they're interested in. And then maybe the epiphany, huh, my dad's a human being. What's he interested in? Right? And so I think that, that that's an important part of just like having them develop, especially because I think another thing too that I want my kid to recognize, like I want them to be self-aware and for them to be self-aware and recognize themselves as a person, I have to recognize him as a person myself actively. And once he can have that self-awareness and realize that he's a human being and start to think about himself in the world, I think that there's a lot of really good conclusions that can come out of that. And then uh, another one of my friends um, – that will will show me stuff like he's he's my age and stuff that he'll be doing with his dad at my age like uh is really cool like he helps his dad out with uh the band that he does like he does the sound for them and stuff and it seems like he's always had like a really awesome relationship with his parents and i asked him shortly after our son came like what advice can you give me what is it that you feel like your dad did that made it to where you had such a relationship with him, where you were interested in spending time doing things with him that he was interested in. And he said, honestly, just spending time with me and being interested in spending time with me. Like that, it's it's really that simple. So I think being involved in what your kids are wanting to do, like it do, it doesn't have to be fun to me, right? You don't have to like Spider-Man. Whether or not you like Spider-Man isn't the point, right? God made us, he wants us to be uh, a sort of children to him. And one of the things that comes with that is we display his glory, but we do it in ways that hasn't really been done before. We do it in our own unique way. He made us individuals and didn't come uh, in as Christ to abolish who we are, but for us to do it better. And this brings me like to, to another point that I was thinking of earlier. One of the episodes of the Bible Project that I was listening to recently this this was really awesome. When you watch the story of Paul as he's going uh, through the prison system, the, the Roman legal system, as he's appealed to Caesar, he keeps being like slightly like done incorrectly by the, the powers that be. And he would remind them, isn't this what your law says? But 
it's not like he's being cheeky. He didn't have to do that. He knew that he was going to be persecuted. And the person uh, person speaking the podcast, I, th- I really think they're right about this, and I think that this is really powerful. Paul felt like it was extremely important that he encouraged the people around him to uphold their ideals to the best of their ability, and if, if they're good ideals. So it's like Christians don't come into the world to look at the entire world and say nothing here is good. It's to look at how it's distorted and encourage people to – carry out what's good in the world in a less distorted fashion and shining the light of the kingdom doesn't mean that you burn down everything that man has ever done but encourage them remind them there are these ideals that you uphold that are good ideals but you don't actually follow them so do better right and so one of the things that we do as being co-citizens or dual citizens of, of of god's kingdom and the world is to be part of earthly culture, but do it in a way that is wholesome, that is honoring to Christ. And in doing so, that means honoring to other people, right? Whenever we talk about um, whether or not kids should be at the furry fandom or, or, or furry convention, rather, and this, this law, well, why would there be a need for a law like this at all? Well, it's to protect the children. Conventions, if I go to a convention, it's because I want to have a good time and I want to enjoy it. Right. But my enjoyment of something is not all like the most important thing in the world. And if it comes at the expense of children being exposed to things that they shouldn't be exposed to because other people can't behave themselves, or maybe I've done something that I shouldn't have done in front of children, like that's not okay. But I think that by being involved in convention and hoping and maybe, you know, Imagine this, praying for a better furry convention or for people to try to, um, what's the word, realize conventions in a way that is uh, hospitable to a more um, family environment, at least in part. I think it is kind of part of that whole idea. If people enjoy the furry fandom and there's Christians in it, and there are people in the furry fandom who see it for more than just like, how we can treat each other as meat, right? Then it seems that we would want to be involved even with the secular people to encourage them. Like you say that like you enjoy just the artwork sometimes. Some people want it like want it to be explicitly some other thing, but there's some people who definitely like to enjoy the fandom for the fact that it it's uh, a really cool genre of artwork or they like to role play or they like to express themselves through the character. And some of the things some like people want to stand up for, I think, are good things. And encouraging people to make those more present and do a better job of upholding those ideals is a positive experience. I think that that's one weird way that we can bring the kingdom further into this world. Now, how to have that mindset and bring a kid up to have that mindset is a very weird question because there is – an aspect of this where i have to think about how do i protect my child but protecting my child if it means to have him grow up um without being taken away by sin but also to have him grow up understanding what the gospel is about and what being a christian is about might mean that sheltering him too much is also dangerous because if i want to model good behavior and how a christian should be then that might mean that I have to allow my son to see me living these sorts of things out. And that doesn't mean that at the age of three that I should take him to FWA. But it might mean that at some point in his life, if I see a point where it is safe to take him with me to some sort of event, maybe if I'm going to host another Christian first panel or something, for him to be able to see that you can have an interest and let Christ shine through that interest is an important thing for him to see me do. It's interesting. Um, um, as, as you're describing this, I'm thinking about there is a, um, th- th- this is one of the, the problems that Martin Luther had with the, the cloister system of monasteries. Monasteries originally when they came out uh, or when they were developed, they existed in the world among the population of believers and unbelievers. And they would often, you know, provide services and make beer, do all kinds of other stuff like that. 
be involved in the community. But at a certain point, some some monasteries developed into, into a system called a, a cloister. Um, you think about like a clamshell close up. They would shut themselves off from the rest of the world. They would completely isolate themselves from the rest of the world. And Martin Luther and others pointed out that, no, this is absolutely not, not what God has called you to do. Now, you may think, okay, well, I won't be involved in sin because every day I'll have nothing but, you know, a brown monastic robe and I'll just be chanting day in, day in, day in and day out. <laughs> But <laughs> it's not what God has call, called you to do. God has called Christians to be in the world, not of the world, but in the world, interacting with other Christians, because this is how, this is one of the primary ways that he has chosen to, to share the faith is, is involvement with, with other people and cloistering. I mean, if your biggest fear, you know, if you're listening to this, you know, one of the, the six people who listen to this podcast, your biggest fear is, you know, what do I do if, if, if my kid one day grows up? And, and, and becomes a furry or whatever. And if you succeed, if you succeed in your life in preventing your, your child from either A, being a furry, or B, being involved in a specific, a specific type of sin, it does him no good if he doesn't have the gospel. It does, it does no benefit to a person if he manages to go his entire life avoiding as much sin as possible if he doesn't have faith in Christ, if he doesn't have you know a Savior who died on the cross for his, his sins. Right. It's, it's so easy to get so, to get so hung up on sin and the fear of sin. And, and that itself, that itself is idolatry. That itself is, is, you know, a lot of times, um, I'll have people reach out to me and they'll say, you know, I, I can't stop doing this sin or I keep being involved in the sin and I, and I'm, and I'm terrified. And they, and the devil has tricked them into fixating, into fixing their eyes, not on the cross, not on the death of their savior not on the forgiveness of sins, but instead they are focused on themselves and if they can, if they can beat this sin and if they can beat this sin becomes the sole, you know, the, the sole thing that they're striving for. And at the end of the day, if they get too focused on that, that idolatry that leads them into, you know, believing that they can somehow, uh, that they can somehow save themselves, even if they don't you know, predict that's the direction it's going to go. This is why Martin Luther's famous line, sin boldly, uh, people, a lot of people hate that line, but if you understand what he means by it, you know, if you live your life in constant fear that you're going to sin, uh, then you're making an idol out of your own behavior. You are not oh, yeah. trusting that Jesus died on the cross for your for your sins. That was actually something huge. Like, so this is a a reformed, I think they're reformed Baptists, but a podcast Theocast. Theocast was really helpful to me because they're big. Like their 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 tagline is basically like helping weary pilgrims to rest in christ something like that and their their big push like one of their big themes is for to help people realize that pietism is not so healthy like there is a an aspect to christian life that is pious that is you know concerned with living righteously to the best of your ability but pietism where you think that like you are a good christian or it is to be a good christian by uh being able to be as righteous as possible actually misses the point because when Jesus came to the, the Sermon on the Mount and, or, and gave the Sermon on the Mount and said, right, that you have to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, he wasn't trying to say it was an attainable goal. <laughs> this was a challenge. You Go were supposed ahead. to walk away from that being, oh, God, what can I do? So that after you realize that, after your knees buckle and you realize that you are completely crushed by the law and that you are completely incapable of ever doing it justice that you can fully recognize that you have to have somebody else who is able to carry it for you so all of this like ah, i can't i i have to make sure that i don't ever do any sin whatsoever because otherwise i'm going to be in danger and i'm going to be swept away it's like well uh you're, you're forgetting that your righteousness as good as you think it is is still still worthless Right. And I've gotten in trouble for saying that before. Somebody got mad because I thought that I said righteous was worthless. What I really mean when I, <laughs> I say that is like when you compare your righteousness to Christ's righteousness, your righteousness is not going to do anything for you. As a matter of fact, I think that our righteousness is probably like less for us and more for other people. Right. When you're honoring uh, the law of love and you're honoring God and you're, you're being a righteous person, well, I think that that's actually a a bit of a nuanced concept, what that should really look like. But you should understand that your righteousness is not going to add to your salvation, period. And Theocast's big push was, if you think that your righteousness is adding to your salvation, then you have no salvation. 
if you take pure water of Christ's righteousness and you mingle it with a drop of your seeming righteousness, you've still made that water impure. Christ's righteousness has to be the only thing that saves you. Yeah, absolutely. The um, Luther says, again, he says, uh, uh, God doesn't need your works, your neighbor does, or God doesn't need your love, your, your neighbor does. I like that. The, the, the good works that a Christian does, the love that a Christian acts out, this, is, this should be in response. We can love because Christ first loved us, but that has to come first, and that has to be final. It has to be, we are saved, therefore we can love others. Not, I have to stop doing this sin so I'm good enough for God to love me to, to, you know, to what? To die on the cross? He's already done that for you before you were even born. Before you even started sinning, God died on the cross. What can you contribute to, you know, to what Christ has already done for you? it's, I think there's, there's a, there's a couple of, there's a couple of lies that the, that the devil uses regularly because people keep falling for them and, and, and they get stuck in people's minds and, and they sound, they sound pious. They sound, you know, I want to be a righteous person. Good. We should all want to be righteous. Oh, people. Yeah. We should want to behave piously, chastely in love in you know, all, you know, exercising the fruit of the spirit, all these things that that's, that's a good thing. But the temptation, the sin, is when that that becomes, you know, that becomes more important than Christ's death on the cross, and that becomes not an outgrowth of who you are as a as an already saved Christian, but as something that you know this is an essential part of my foundation. I must be good so I may be saved. It's oh, it's it's such a it's such a common lie, but it's so easy to fall for, and it sounds. It sounds so good. It sounds like, why would I not want to be a good person so God can love me? It's like, well, you can't. You can't be right. And oh. I feel like we find ourselves at another one of those weird paradoxical tug of wars. Right? We have Proverbs telling us that if you will live wisely and chase after wisdom, then good things will come as a result. And then in the same section of literature. We have Ecclesiastes telling us that you can be the most wise person in the world and you're still going to die. That life is going to come to an end and there's, there's just going to be trouble for you, right? Because we're in a broken, messed up world. And so we have this tug of war of we, we can't live righteously, not, not true, truly righteously, meaning that it's perfect, right? We can we can live out a caricature of righteousness at best. <laughs> we can approximate but, it, yeah. Right, but we we can't really achieve it. But knowing that, and knowing that, even though we could be as Job and live perfectly and blamelessly, and still find that everything falls apart for us, does that mean we don't try? Oh no, we still should try because it's the correct thing to do and somebody whose heart is aligned with god's sees that way of living and that mindset of living is the most beautiful thing that we should aspire to and i think we we reach this similar paradox here where as a father i have a responsibility to protect my son but i also have a responsibility to educate my son in how to live in a fallen world you want to protect your kid from a fallen world but you also know that your kid's going to grow up to be an adult who has to live in that same fallen world. And you want that, that, that child to grow up to have this understanding of what it means to exist in this fallen world and not be uh, taken by it, but still exist in it and possibly even has, have a positive change affected on it because Christ works through you and that working through you actually can just look like you being your best self by letting the Holy Spirit transform how you think about the world and what you stand for. Yeah, we have to fight against this this false dichotomy that the world has, has presented where you have two choices as a parent. You can either be a completely hands-off parent and allow your child to engage in whatever he or she would like to and not be restrictive at all. Or you have to be, you have to completely isolate your child and, and put them in a, in a bubble and, you know, like the Amish kind of make them completely unaware of the outside world. But if you look at the Bible itself, if you look at even the contents of scripture, there are lots of bad stuff. There's lots of sin that is described in scripture. And if we're, if we're, if you're 
teaching, if God is teaching us as children, if God is teaching us, he's making us aware of, of the pitfalls that others have fallen into. And we can do that. We can do that as parents. We can, you know, we don't have to make them completely ignorant and say, okay, you know, I'm not going to tell you about anything bad in the world. Um, but, but again, this is, this is kind of, you know, you, you teach in an intentional manner. You say, I'm going to prepare my child for what he might encounter in the world. That doesn't mean I necessarily have to directly expose him to it. And this doesn't mean that I have to have a hands-off approach and let him figure it out and just run into it on his own. Right. But it's, yeah, it's like if you've got, if you're a, if you want to, if you want to teach your kid how to behave around a dog and, you know, dogs are wonderful and great, but dogs can also be dangerous for, you know, small children in particular is you approach the dog hand in hand with your child and you say, you know, here's, here's the dog, here's how you pet them. Don't, you know, don't pull his tail. Don't, you know, don't jump on the dog. Don't hit the dog. Don't do anything like that because a dog could potentially hurt you. You don't just, you know, let the child loose and say, you know, figure it out. And you also don't keep the child isolated his entire life from a dog. Uh, and then, you know, at some point that isolation ends and now he has no idea how to, how to, you know, how to interact with a dog without antagonizing it. You, you, you're intentional. You, you walk them through this sort of training. You walk side by side with them. There's a, there's a teaching method called uh, a peripatetic, peripatetic method. Uh, Peripateo means uh, kind of a walk, a walking, talking conversation to walk and learn to walk beside somebody and learn as, right. as, a, as a teacher and a student. And walking beside somebody does not mean carrying them. So that's, that's one of the, the really like cool things. Like, um, I feel like this might be related to the conscious dis- discipline that my, my wife, uh, uses at work with, with kids. It, it's a really cool premise, but it, it, I'm probably drawing false connections, but like there, there's this element where you're, where you're like, okay, I want my, I want to educate my, my kid about how to make good decisions and how to think about the world. But if you want somebody to make good decisions, they have to practice making good decisions. And if you want them to think in a positive, good way about how they interact with the world, they have to think about the world, which means that there's a point in that education where you have to like ease them into they make decisions and they get to think and being involved for that while they're still developing means like having conversations. I can let my son come to his own conclusions and sometimes they might not be the right conclusions yet. I don't have to just bash him over the head though and say like, well, that's not how it works. Right. He's going to never allowed to try again. Yeah. He's, he's allowed to have his own thoughts about how the world works and he's allowed to be mistaken. But if I can make a, an environment where we can even have disagreements as it becomes a teenager and I can allow him to have his own thoughts about the world as a child. I feel like that can create a safe space for us to have conversations about. And, but I mean, yeah, I'm going to give him input and I'm going to give him a lot of input early. And then as he gets older and becomes an adult, I will eventually have to just understand that my son's going to make his own decisions. He's going to think what he thinks. And it's not my job to, to sit and make that up for him, especially because I'm a flawed human being who's not got everything right. But as he's, especially like as far as making decisions goes, I have to let him experience making a decision and it being the wrong decision, but also talking through how to make that decision. Because if me and my son have a discussion as he gets older and he comes to a conclusion about what he thinks is is the way that something should be handled and we talk about it and he really is convinced that it's the right way, it might be that the only way he's going to learn any better is to just make that bad decision. And of course, of course, there is the big disclaimer on this that depending on what it is, <laughs> you, I might have to be a bit more energetic with my approach. And I'm not trying no, to say No, Dad, I'm not going to get addicted to heroin. Well, why don't you go ahead and try? Find out. Yeah. See how and I'm not saying are. that, it, again, this is not a hands-off approach, but I think that there's this gradient that has to be eased into. I don't think that kids grow up, like, I mean, we hopefully everybody's aware that a teenager is a human construct, but there's not some magical age where my son's going to wake up and be like, huh, I am an autonomous adult. I have achieved the enlightenment of uh, independence. It's not like that. He's going to have to practice growing (laughs) into being an autonomous human being. And I think that I can help him to do that effectively, but it's going to have to be in recognition that my son is not some object. He's not a second-class human. He is a human that does not have the experience that I have but I can ease him into a place of being able to be experienced and wise. I think, I hope. Yeah. And, and hopefully in that, in, in that 
construction and that discipline, uh, as as you continue to interact with him, as he gets right and wrong answers, makes right and wrong decisions, then hopefully the end point of that is that, okay, fast forward to the future where you're no longer, you know, walking necessarily side by side with him. If he makes a wrong decision that he knows that he can come to you and say, look, I messed up, dad. I need your help. I thought I knew how to handle this situation and, and I didn't. And rather than being, you know, scared of you that you're going to react in a certain way um, and, and not help him, uh, he's going to intentionally seek you out and say, I, I really messed this one up, but I trust that you still have my well-being uh, at heart and, and you're going to, you're going to be, you're going to be there to help me. But that has to be built up. That That's a, that's a lifelong discipline that has to be built up after over years. It's, it's not just a single, a single issue. Right. I feel like I think like on my list of, of things I'd like to do, I need to add to the, the bottom, write a, uh, a short story fan fiction of conversations that the father and the prodigal son had after the fact. Oh, that would be fascinating. <laughs> Welcome back, son. And then after so, the party. How did that work out for you? So, son, I would like to talk about your experiences. <laughs> Eating bean pods, huh? Oh, hanging out with pigs? Mm. Oh, mm. Dad, everything I did was just, it was so wrong. It was like, listen, son, calm down. Look, we've been over this. You're home. You messed up. Great. But I, ne- I need us to talk about, like, the end. Because I'm sure there may have been some decisions that you made that were the right decision. For instance, you made the decision to come home. That was a pretty smart move. So maybe you made some other smart decisions. So can we talk about maybe which decisions were good <laughs> and which decisions weren't so good and what the difference between them was? all right uh with that thank you so much uh again to the cff uh thank you to tomcat for for willing to be second chair uh with me here today and i think we had a a very productive conversation are there any final parting shots that you want to you want to get off before we we end it for today oh gee i don't know like this law, I understand why the, the Megaplex is reacting the, the way that they are. I think that there's some weirdness about how we're, we're reading what that law says, maybe, but they're probably making a safe bet. And it, it probably it's probably a good decision. As far as like whether or not it, like conventions are safe space for kids, I don't know. I want to hope that there is a place in the future, though, where there can at least be some furry convention space that can be safe for kids to attend. Because I think that the, the furry fandom can be a positive experience for children, but it doesn't need to be uh, random 13-year-olds that are interacting with grown adults on the internet unsupervised. I don't think that's what it's going to look like. So definitely definitely not sending somebody underage to a convention by themselves. That's probably the other thing, too, right? One of the, the aspects that comes with whether or not kids should be present in a furry convention has a lot to do with whether or not you're accompanying them. All right. So with that, we're coming up at a we're coming at a, up at about an hour. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much to the Christian Furry Fellowship for allowing us to have uh, the podcast on the server. Uh, unfortunately, if you're not on the server, you didn't get to see how involved the entire community was in in, in the chat room, kind of um, the peanut gallery over there, uh, commenting on on the conversations. Uh, again, thank you so much to everybody listening. God bless you all. And take care.